0: So what are the risks of these diets and really what is the goal for a young person for healthy eating? So hello and welcome to Coco Pods, the podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. Today, we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Ceci Dosumu Ogumbi. She's a pediatric gastroenterologist, that is a pediatric GI specialist. So what are the risks of these diets? And really, what is the goal for a young person for healthy eating? Okay.
1: All right. Well, the... Um, because there's concerns about this all this diets, this fat diet you know we said that we have the restricted diet the forbidden group and the social media diet you know so the concern for the restricted diet is that you have difficulty meeting your macro and micronutrients the macronutrients are your fat your carbohydrate your protein and the micronutrients are your vitamins and minerals in, in your body so if you're you're not able to meet all the your daily needs for this. Some of this diet are just dangerous for some health condition. For example, diabetes, if you're on this restricted diet, you're fasting for this long, and you, you know, you're on insulin, you know, that can affect your health. And there's some medications that people are taking, like you have to take with food, like there's antidepressants and iron that you have to take with food. And if you're this fasting, you're know able to take it and you take it on an empty stomach, it can affect your body as well. And there's no um, studies that have shown that um, this you know, diet are more effective than uh, scheduled eating. In the for, in the forbidding group, there's a risk for nutrient deficiency because you're so restricted with your diet. You know, those who are on a no dairy diet, they can affect their calcium and vitamin D and other things that you can also have from restricted diet. You can have your vitamin B12, zinc, fiber, magnesium deficiency from this, and it's not sustainable. You know, you know, again, can you imagine having a patient here who has been on this watermelon diet? You know, it. You know, you can imagine her being invited to her friends, uh, you know, to a restaurant to go and eat. But she's because she's on a diet on this watermelon diet. You know, she she's very anxious. She's, she creates an anxiety. She can't go. And then she she said isolates herself. She can interact, you know, with her friends because she's on a, this diet. So it just creates a lot of anxiety. And we don't know what the long term consequences of this um, forbidden food can do. Then, of course, the social media, you know, a lot of these celebrities are posting on social media. Yeah, quite a number of them may have eating disorders. But of course, our young people are trying to copy their habits. You know, they and and again, and that can lead also to to their own um, eating disorder. And then this trend is just so extreme and it's harmful to their health. And again, you have some of this, um, you know, like this high uh, uh, diet that have uh, lemon coffee that has a high concentration of caffeine that's even beyond what is recommended or even not recommended, but just too high that can affect hearts, heart problems, can cause heart problems. So in anything, you know, in a, in any um diet, the goal of healthy eating is that it's you need to hit a complete nutrition. You know, that's what we tell our children, you have to have a complete nutrition. Um, and in fact, some of them may, may need to take a supplement, you know, just to make sure you have a balanced diet. You have to have that healthy relationship where food is not your enemy <laughs> you just have to have that healthy relationship you don't need to let it consume you you know as go, well I can't eat this I can't eat that so you don't let it take over your life and then you know you want a diet that is a sustainable um, eating habit you know it doesn't mean you you want to eat all food you don't want to demonize uh, any food you know that doesn't mean you go around eating cake and dessert all day but you know you just want to eat all food but you know in the right amount.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, as we're talking about diets, there are conditions associated with lifestyle factors like obesity, poor diet, sedentary behavior, and metabolic conditions like you talked about, such as diabetes and insulin resistance. There is a condition that can lead to accumulation of fat specifically in liver cells. So, Dr. Oh, first of all, what is the liver? What does it do? And what is that condition in which fat abnormally accumulates in the liver?
1: Right. So, um, What's the liver? Um, so liver is a, it's an organ in our body and actually in our abdomen that helps us process the food that we eat. It removes waste and toxins um, from the blood and it helps uh, make proteins and hormones that the body needs to function. So it's a very, very important um, organ in our body. So uh, fatty liver, which uh, the medical term we use is non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, although they're trying to change name to med- metabolic associated fatty liver disease. So they call it non-alcoholic because it's almost the it's the same type of liver condition you see in someone that drinks alcohol is pretty much what it is it's the same liver disorder you know but in this case this patient is not drinking alcohol you know and so it's a problem again caused by just too much fat in the liver so this can happen in children as well that don't even drink uh, alcohol Um, we have fatty liver Uh, it could be mild or, or severe and uh, some people with fatty liver have more severe uh, form that includes damage, you know, they have inflammation inside their liver. And this is called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. hepatitis. In short, we say NASH, N-A-S-H. And then over time, NASH can cause scar tissue and develop in the liver. And eventually this scar tissue replace all the healthy cells and the liver cannot work anymore. And this condition is cirrhosis of the liver. Mm,
0: wow, wow, wow. You know... Um, hmm, thank you for those answers. So, how is fatty liver diagnosed, and you know can you maybe tell us again some of the things that cause fatty liver just in layman's terms so that we can really understand this problem
1: okay so fatty liver is um usually suspected in someone who is overweight um you know with a body mass. You know, you know, very high body mass index. You know, if your doctor suspects fatty liver, they will send some blood tests to check your liver function. And if the patient with fatty liver, a blood test will frequently show whether there's an elevated protein called ALT, this amino aminotransferase. These results uh, suggest that liver inflammation, that there's some inflammation in your liver. Sometimes your doctor will also perform an abdominal ultrasound, which can show that it's there's too much fat in your liver. There's other conditions that can cause, you know, uh, that conditions such as viral hepatitis, autoimmune hepatitis, metabolic disease that can also cause fat accumulation in in the liver. So your doctor may also want to exclude those conditions as well. Once the fatty liver is uh, confirmed, there are other tests that can be used to measure how severe this, you know, how severe your fatty liver is. They may do an MRI or image that's a, a magnetic resonance imaging scan that can help measure how much fat is in your liver and can look for scar tissue, fibrosis. And there are other tests like the fiber scan. And then, of course, sometimes you have to even do a liver biopsy uh, to measure not just the inflammation, but also the scar tissue in your liver.
0: Wow, wow. Thank you. You know, pregnancy itself can sometimes lead to a condition called gestational fatty liver, um, which is rare, but a serious complication. It is most commonly associated with severe preeclampsia and a condition called HELP syndrome, both of which are serious pregnancy-related conditions. Gestational, that is pregnancy fatty liver, can cause liver dysfunction and potentially lead to acute liver failure, posing risks to both the mother and the fetus. So if an adolescent girl with pre-existing fatty liver you know suspected because she was very overweight like you said becomes pregnant her risk of complications may be elevated due to the underlying liver condition moreover if an adolescent develops gestational fatty liver during pregnancy the presence of a pre-existing fatty liver might make the situation worse Adolescents, especially those with risk factors for fatty liver like obesity, we tell them to be mindful of their liver health through a balanced diet and regular physical activity. Pregnant adolescents should receive proper prenatal care to monitor and manage any potential complications, especially if they have pre-existing liver conditions. So, Dr. O, we consult with healthcare professionals like yourself for the most up-to-date and accurate information on these matters. How is fatty liver treated generally after a diagnosis has been made?
1: Yes, um, the first treatment of fatty uh, liver is, is trying to change your diet by reducing added sugar. The biggest cause of, you know, is this, is the added sugar. So this includes limiting things like sugar, sweetened beverages, sugary food, like cakes and desserts, and all juices. A lot of these juices have a lot of added sugar to them. The American Heart Association recommends 25 grams or less per day of added sugar. And, and those with fatty liver actually need less than that, you know, um, of this added sugar. So, you know, you may work with your dietitian or on reading labels because there's some food that have natural sugar. It's the added sugar that is the biggest concern, not just the sugar. So, when you're lo- looking at a label um, on any food packages, it'll tell you it has, um, you know, this percentage of added sugar. You need, so obviously, you want to go with the one with the very lowest. And as I said, you want to limit it to no more than 25 grams of. Added sugar in a day. In addition to changing the diet, increasing your exercise may promote weight loss and reduce fatty liver. It can be helpful to increase daily activity like playing sports, playing, you know, kids playing the background in the parks, going for a walk with your friends and your spouse and other activities. Currently, recommendation is about 30 to 60 minutes of activity per day. And those with fatty liver may even need more to increase their activities more than that. Uh, because fatty liver does not always improve the, with better health, diet and exercise. There's some fatty liver that is treated with medication and researchers have shown that there's, there's some medication out there that are now using to treat fatty liver, um, especially with where there's inflammation and scar tissue. Wow.
0: So we start with behavioral changes, making sure we maintain a healthy weight, And, you know, just watching what we eat. And then there are some medications that can be used to, I guess, reverse the process of uh, scarring. Is that
1: possible? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. like I said, the first step is that lifestyle change. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lifestyle, lifestyle change, changing your, you know, again, like I said, the biggest cause is the added sugar. You know, most mm-hmm. of them say fatty liver, but it's a sugar that gets converted to the fat. So mm-hmm. reducing the number of sugar and then just, you know, just being active, mm-hmm. moving. It's, you know, it's a part of part of you know trying to maintain a healthy weight. Mm-hmm. And then also, like I said, for those who have tried those lifestyle uh changes and it's not working for them, and um, there, there are some medications out there that is being used. Actually, for what what children and adults, but obviously you have to consult with your doctors for Mm.
0: that. Thank you. Thank you. So we delve into a vital topic of uh, bleeding. And, you know, not from the area we GYN doctors usually concentrate on, but from the lower gastrointestinal tract, you know. So, you know, the lower gastrointestinal tract Ends with the rectum. So we wanna look into lower GI bleeding in young individuals and lower gastrointestinal bleeding in young individuals and pregnant persons can have unique challenges, underlying causes and management strategies in these dynamic stages of life. From the impact of lifestyle factors on young people, to the intriguing complexities of pregnancy related changes, we want to unravel the connections between these experiences and lower GI bleeding. So let's embark on a journey of understanding and insight into this often overlooked aspect of health. So Dr. O, what is lower gastrointestinal bleeding? And what signs and symptoms should the person look for to tell them that they are having bleeding from their lower GI tract?
1: So first of all, the, uh, the, uh, the gastrointestinal system consists of the GI tract, um, on, on the GI glands. The GI tract is essentially a tube that processes the food and liquids that we eat or ingest. The GI tract is divided into different parts, um, beginning with the mouth, followed by the esophagus, which is the uh, food pipe, the stomach, the small intestine, which we call the small bowel, and then the large intestine, which we call the colon or the large bowel, um, and then ending in the anus. The lower GI tract um, includes the second and third portion of the small intestine, which we call the jejunum and the ileum, and then as well as the large intestine. So any irritation or ulcers of the lining of the lower GI tract can cause lower GI bleeding. So what are the uh, signs and symptoms of lower GI bleeding? The signs uh, would depend on the location and the quantity of the bleeding. It can be either obvious or it could be eating. So if the bleeding is obvious, uh, meaning that you can actually see the blood, you can see bright red blood from the anus bleeding, could be just streaks of blood, or you can pass large clots, you know, and um, it can be mixed in with the stool or could just be just right outside, just coating the stool. If the bleeding starts further in the lower GI tract, um, you may see just this black sticky stools, which we call melina, and which can sometimes look like tar and it could be foul smelling. Um, If bleeding is hidden, um, it may have um, symptoms such as, um, you know, belly pain, lightheadedness and fainting, um, chest discomfort, nausea, difficulty breathing. So your doctor may want to do a special test on your store to dictate it. there's this looking for this hidden blood. The consistency of, um, of the stool, uh, including constipation or diarrhea, can also be an important indicator of the cause of your lower GI bleeding. So some uh, important f- symptoms to discuss with your doctor are the freak how often you go into the bathroom, whether you have an abdominal pain with your uh, with this bleeding, or whether you have an accident with stooling, you are been waking up in the night to go to the bathroom, whether you have fever or your weight loss. And those are the questions your doctor will ask you You know, if you present with them with lower GI bleeding.
0: So mainly look for I mean, look at your stool.
1: Yes, look at your <laughs> stool. Yes, yes, look at you know. <laughs> there's uh, yes. We we GI doctor. We talk about so. When it's always interesting when I uh talk to my teenage kids and I st- start telling them to describe the stool. You know, because I ask this question so many times and they they kind of look at me. It's like why is she asking me all this about the stool. It's so there's so much information you can get from your stool, from the consistency to what's it, whether it's hard or loose. Or it's, in fact, we have a Bristol. Uh, chat what t- tells you the different uh, consistency of your stool. You know, it, even described in full like sausage. You know, <laughs> all that is different. Different things. It tells you um, whether you have blood in it. You know, just all things. There's a lot of information you can get from your stool. So
0: look at this stool and if you're having so, what is the summary symptom? In summary, what do you want to tell somebody with lower GI bleeding? Mm-hmm. In summary, what kind of symptoms would they have?
1: Well, like I said, it's it's uh, obviously, if it's obvious, you yeah. know. Um, and so and obvious, obvious blood. Obviously, obvious it could have obvious blood, you know, and, and it could be hidden. The uh, the obvious one, you obviously will see blood. It's not normal to see blood in your stool. So if you see blood in your stool, it's abnormal. So the question is, what are the other things that goes along with this blood? Are you, are you constipated? You know, which we'll talk a little bit more about that. You know, um, I'm sure you're going to ask me some questions about that later. Yeah. Or... So,
0: what <laughs> causes lower gastrointestinal bleeding? <laughs> well, yeah. And okay. how, how how is it diagnosed? What, okay. So, but what causes it? Okay.
1: So, lower GI bleeding is a symptom of an underlying problem in the lower GI tract. You know, and which could vary with age. You know, um, so what you expect a cause you see in a in a uh, adolescent, it could be different from a middle age or from an adult, from a, um, from, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a- uh, geriatric patients. So it can vary with age. Um, it could be as simple. Well, I'm not going to say simple, not simple to the patient, but it could be just a cough, like we call anal um, or hemorrhoids that can cause, that can be caused by constipation from straining. You know, when you strain, you can cause a break. And of course, the hemorrhoids are just like dilated blood vessels, you know, that, you know, from, from the straining. You can have a growth in your, co- in the line of the colon, which could include just, Polyps and polyps can also could, could be, Some of them could be cancerous, like in colon cancer. It could be uh, you could see blood from infection, like virus or parasite or bacteria infection. Um, there's inflammatory bowel disease, uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis can cause bleeding. In some, you know, young people, uh, uh, Meckel's diverticulum, which is an abnormal pouch in the lower part of the small intestine, that is present, but even though most people say that it, it most usually you see that in young children, they said there's um, less than two years of age, but I've seen it at any age. I've seen it in older you know, people, you know, so it can be at any age. So it shouldn't just not children uh, alone that can, you can have that. And it can cause a lot of bleeding. So it's called Merkel's. Merkel's, Merkel's, uh, Merkel's diverticulum. So yes. just
0: named after somebody. Yes. And yes. it can be present. Even it's present
1: at birth. It's present at birth. So yeah. it's a, basically it's like a, pocket a pouch yeah. right in the lower intestine and that, that that pouch is lined by a different lining of tissue and that tissue can bleed mm. and so they would call this it presents like painless rectal bleeding mm. so and some of them complete a lot from mm. that you mm. know um so again it's it, like i said most of the time it presents in very young children that's the most common age but you can present at any age so it's not something that we always ex, you know just say because the person is um 25 you know it's not you're not going to completely exclude that from your diagnosis you know so especially if you can't find anything else causing their bleeding
0: and now is there a stool of a particular characteristic uh, is there a way you describe this stool of somebody with Meckel's diverticulum—is it jelly-like or no?
1: No, they just—they yeah. just—they just present with just a lot of blood. They mm-hmm. it call it rectal bleeding. They just—it's mm-hmm. not without. They don't—they just bleed without. There's no stool involved. Mm-hmm. They just see that they just come in. And some mm-hmm. of them may have clots mm-hmm. and um usually bright red blood. Um, mm-hmm. because some of them could be a little maroon color. Mm-hmm. So just bright red blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course the other conditions like allergic conditions like you see in very young. Kids' milk protein allergy um, in the young children. And there's something called eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorder that you can see in older children or adults, can also cause that. You can see blood in the stool. There's a condition called interception. Interception is a serious condition in which part of the intestines um, slides into the adjacent part of the intestine. It's like telescoping. Of so, the bowel so the, the bowel slides into each other it's like a like, telescope, exactly, exactly. Mm. And usually, and it causes, uh, um, and you know, causes a blockage. Usually, there's always a lead point, like maybe someone has a polyp, you know, and that could be the lead point for that telescoping occurring. That's and when you have that, it can cut off the blood supply to the intestine. That's a really that's an emergency, you know. So, you know, the person will present with really severe abdominal pain in addition to the blood in the stool. Obviously, the person needs to go immediately to the emergency room. And then to surgery, right? And of course to surgery, yes. Mm. Although sometimes, you know, in some cases if it, it presents very um if very early, and there's an extra test where they can reduce that with a with a with a, something called a barium enema mm-hmm. and just put in some contrast into the colon and kind of help and um untangle uh, untangle it if wow. <laughs> you want to say that right, yes right, right. and then the other conditions like um necrotizing enterocolitis usually that is in very premature babies that we see and that also is also life threatening and then of course um the vascular malformation which is not very common which abnormal clotters of um blood vessels that usually occur just prior to birth so those are um usual causes that we, that can cause um rectal bleeding so um,
0: what what is it what would you say is the commonest cause of lower
1: gi bleeding so the most common cause is usually um like an official hemorrhoid. you know so that's why you also ask about this to consistency um so that's what most common especially the someone who's well appearing and not having any other issues no belly pain no you know just, you know, no weight loss, none of those worrisome symptoms or what we call red flags. You ask for those red flags, weight loss, uh, you know, you know, dizziness or any of anything, any other thing. They don't have any of those, just present all. And most of them will present like, okay, I have um pain when I go to the bathroom and my rectum, or when I after I stool it's when I see the blood on the tissue when I wipe. So more than likely it's coming from the anus. you know. So so that's one important history you want to take from your, from your patient. Mm you <laughs>